Business is simple. It's just not easy. We focus on three things to help you run and grow your business more easily. Talent, sales, and how to scale. Can it be that simple? Talent. Develop a robust recruiting, vetting, and training process to help capable people and then help them to become who and what they want to be. Sales. Have a logical go-to-market strategy. Build the sales and marketing structure and plan around it and then attack and execute the plan with fanatical consistency. Scale. Know where you're going, why you're going. Share with others why they would want to join you. Be clear on who's allowed to join you and what they'll need to do to stay on board. Anticipate roadblocks. Avoid them before you get stuck. And then when you do hit one, and you will, stay calm, problem solve, and find resources to get unstuck. Sounds simple, right? Simple to understand, but not easy to do. Join us as we focus on the tips and tricks and hacks for running a profitable, hyper-growth business. We'll share real-world horror stories and celebrate the victory sagas that will inspire you. This is the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. Hey everyone, it's Brian Whittington with this episode of the Talent, Sales, and Scale Show. So today, kind of a curious uh, opportunity here. We get to talk to Mark Evans. He's the principal with Marketing Spark, and, and really he works with B2B companies, usually in that earlier stage uh, cycle. So it, it's kind of cool. We're going to be able to talk to somebody that does this on a fractional basis, with multiple different companies, and so there's going to be a lot of a lot of insights uh, along that. So, welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, Brian, for inviting me. I'm excited to talk about marketing and how we can help early stage companies do a better job of making marketing work for them. Yeah, well, and and you know, sales and marketing is is intricate intricately tied together if i can say that word today geez uh tied together so you know it, it's a, it's a fine balancing act but you know there's all of these supposed geniuses out there all of these supposed uh people that know everything so i i guess one thing that i always like to ask is so mark why in the world should we listen to you about how should we go from zero to fully effective in marketing why, why should we trust what you have to tell us tell us well, by no means will I position myself as a marketing guru or expert, but what I do have going for me is different perspectives from a marketing perspective, marketing angle. So I spent 15 years as a technology reporter, so I've worked with early-stage startups. I told their stories. I covered their growth. I co-founded a startup with a friend of mine. I've worked for startups, and for the last 12 years, I've consulted with more than 100 B2B and SaaS companies. So it's the breadth of experience that I think I bring to the table. And I also see myself as, a, um, as an honest broker. There's a lot, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of slick marketers out there, a lot of people who posture as being the smartest people in the room. And I see myself as somebody who provides objective advice and tries to be as honest as possible in terms of helping entrepreneurs do the right things when it comes to marketing. Yeah, and that's one thing that I, I do appreciate about fractional, right? Whether it's fractional CFO, fractional marketing, fractional what we do with the sales development or even hiring side, um, it's really good because to your point, Mark, I think you have that breadth that most people don't typically get. So, well, let's dive down into this. I mean, so here we are. We're a newer organization. We're in startup. Um, 
maybe walk us through, I mean, how do we, where do we even start? I mean, this is a massive topic. I'm brand new. I have 8 million things that I need to do. I might even have some investors that are breathing down my, my neck about, you know, we have to get return on investment. We have to get sales, you know, market, market, market. Where do we start? I mean, let's, let's go there. So if you look at a typical startup, it usually begins with product. An entrepreneur has is inspired, sees a problem that they want to solve. They want to be an entrepreneur and they identify a problem that they can, they can address. And they put their heads down and they develop a product. And the product gets, is tested. You do a little market research, but then you have a product. And then what usually happens is the founder becomes the chief salesperson and he or she starts to sell the product to see if they get some, get some traction, to actually build a business, to establish it as a legitimate entity. Once you get a little bit of sales traction, the next thing is they hire a salesperson. So the founder becomes focused on other things like raising money, hiring staff. you got to salespeople. And eventually, they think about marketing. That's the usual path, but that's a mistake because you're forcing marketing to catch up with the rest of the business, where in fact, what you need to do is you need to think about marketing and storytelling from the very beginning. So sales and marketing is essentially telling the story of what your company does, who you serve, and why it matters. You don't necessarily have to invest in marketing or a marketing person from the get-go, but you have to think about your business as some a thing that tells stories to different audiences. And so you got to get yourself in a marketing mindset right from the get-go. And even if you don't hire someone right away, at least you're, at least it's sort of ingrained in, in your company's DNA. Okay. So, so we really want to start with the story, um, developing the story from the get-go. So how do we do that? I mean, oftentimes, whenever you're talking with, especially the businesses that we're likely at, that B2B, usually it's going to be a SaaS company, some type of technology play. And those are folks that are typically a little bit more engineering, a little bit more analytical. And, you know, they're they're not notoriously known for being great storytellers, right? They're they're good at tactical or tactical, but maybe not the, the storytelling. Now, I might be wrong and, and just overly stereotyping, but so how do we do that if that's not really our sweet spot? You're right that most tech entrepreneurs are terrible storytellers. Not bad storytellers, usually terrible storytellers because they don't, they don't have the I was mindset. I trying to be nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Let's not be diplomatic here. It's very un-Canadian for someone like me to be diplomatic. But the reality is, is they're very product-focused. They're very feature-focused. It's all about the product and making it better or different or expanding it. They don't think about the customer, so they're not seeing the world in their customer's shoes. So what they need to do is they need to think about four different pillars to start telling that story. It begins with, what does your product do? What's the problem that it's solving? Who's the audience and what is the value delivered? What are the benefits that are delivered to your customer? How do you make their life easier? How do they become more efficient, more productive, richer, healthier? Whatever that is, you have to identify those four pillars. And then the other thing is, how are you different from every, every other company out there? And it's a very straightforward exercise for someone like you and I, it, it's a very natural exercise for an engineer or a tech person. It can be a little bit painful because they don't think that way. But 
once you answer those questions, then your story becomes a lot easier to tell. And one of the best ways to tell if your story works is you go to a cocktail party or a dinner party or a social event and someone asks you, what do you do? And if you can clearly communicate what you do, who you serve and why it matters in a minute, then you know that your story, you've got the beginnings of a really good story that then you can then amplify through different sales and marketing channels. Okay. Now, uh, let me, let me hit this. So really, if I can add a pillar, it seems like the four pillars, or if I add one are, what do you do? What does it solve for whom, how do you help them? And then how do you differentiate yourself? I mean, the exact, the kind of it. Okay. Now, to be able to tell that story, there's you, you, whether you look at um, the hero's journey or you look at Pixar's storytelling methodology or Don Miller's uh, building your story brand, I think is what that one's called. I mean, there are specific segments or specific um, parts of that story that we should kind of tease out. Is that correct? You can tell different stories to different audiences. So the classic origin story is perfect for early stage companies because in many cases, you haven't got many customers, if any. You don't have a long track record. No one, knew, no one knows who you are. So the, num- the stories that you can tell are very limited. So what you want to do is you want to rally around the stories that you think will resonate, will start to engage potential investors, employees, customers. And everyone likes a... Uh, uh, a um, origin story. So for example, if you look at Richard Branson and why he started Virgin Airlines, the story goes, and this could be urban myth, but I think it's true, is that he was on his way to meet, meet a young lady in the Virgin Islands. On his stopover, when he got to a stopover destination, his flight was canceled. Branson was disappointed. So what he did is he went and chartered a plane found a chalkboard and walked around the airport advertising flights to the Virgin Islands for 39 pounds. He sold that flight out and was inspired by the idea that maybe I could start my own airline because I've got this amazing experience. Is it true? I don't know, but it's a story that engages. It's a story that makes you curious. And so if you're a startup with a, with not a, not many stories to tell, that's a great story to tell. You also okay. can, so that's so that's where you start. That's a good place to start. If I can hit on that one, then so your origin story um, would be, you know, what it's almost like Simon Sinek, right? You start with why. Why did you start this thing? Um, so it's you know, what did you see or what was the the spark that made you want to do this? Is that the origin story that you're talking about here? Then exactly, you are crafting a narrative that is going to be a sort of a foundational story for your company. So good origin stories go on and on and on for years and years and years. And whether they're true or not, they become a key part of your corporate narrative. And then once you have that story, once you have a story that's, and you have, it has to be interesting. It has to have a little bit of drama. Um, it has to draw people in. Once you've got that story, then you can focus on different types of stories. So going back to our five pillars, that's a fundamental sales and marketing story that you can then use to amplify in different channels. So not to say there's only one story. There's lots of different stories that you can tell. It's just different stories for different audiences at different times along the buyer's journey. 
Okay. So uh, can you give us maybe a breakdown? Of, uh, so origin story is, uh, is one. Can you maybe share with us a couple of other stories that we might want to tell? Well, classic story is, is your brand positioning statement, which touches upon the pillars that we talked about. So brand positioning is, I make this product for these people to solve these problems, and this is how we're unique or the value uh, delivered. And unlike other types of companies who do this, our product is different in these ways. So that's your value. That's your brand positioning story. Um, you could have stories about your customers and the experiences that they get from using your product or service. So there's, there's the customer-focused stories. Uh, you could tell stories about your employees and some of the amazing things that they do to make a product happen. So, for example, a great story is about Zappos. So Tony Say, the CEO, was in a meeting with um, somebody, and it was 2 o'clock in the morning, and this person said, hey, it would be great to have pizza. And, and, uh, and Tony said, well, why don't you call one of our customer service people? And the guy said, why would, would I call someone from Zappos to get pizza? So he did it anyway, and that customer service person looked in the directory, found a pizza place that was open at 2 o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas, and the guy ordered pizza. That's a great customer story that you can tell again and again and again. And it's a way of, of building empathy and building allegiance to your brand because you're, you're providing them with a different view of, of your company and how it operates. Well, now, so whenever we're telling these stories, because especially whenever you're talking about brand positioning story, why don't we go the antithesis, right? What is a bad brand, uh, brand positioning story? A bad brand positioning story is a, is a story about a company, its products, and its features. Because I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, is that, that customers don't care about your products, features, or prices. What they care about is themselves. Consumers are very selfish people. All they care about is whether your product is going to deliver to meet their expectations and allow them to do a job. There's a, there's a book I read recently that talks about how products are are basically designed to help people do things to get a job done, whether it's to drive a car from point A to point B or to make your hair look great or to make your, um, your books uh, you know, ready for taxes. There's jobs to be done. And so it's all about them and their needs and their interests. It has nothing to do with your product and the benefits and the prices, at least not at the get-go, right? Because that's, those are things that your customers will learn in time, but you got to engage them. You got to make them recognize that you can help them. There's things that you need to do or things that you want to do that will allow them to make that happen. And then they'll learn about prices and features and benefits. But that's the biggest mistake a lot of companies make. They're very, they're very product focused opposed to being customer focused. Yeah. And so, <sighs> Everybody knows this, and that's a huge frustration, but it's so easy to get lulled in like sirens calling you to the rocks to your death to do that features and benefit dump or do it too intellectually. So do you have any maybe hacks or tips or tricks for these, these folks that can help them to, to do it right? Is there any formulaic approach that you can maybe share with us? The most straightforward and easiest and no-brainer approach when it comes to this is talk to your customers. Now, it sounds pretty simple. Of course, we would talk to our customers because those are the people that matter. But I would argue a lot of companies don't talk to their customers at all or don't talk to them enough. So they don't understand what their customers really want. 
they don't understand what their interests are, they don't understand what their pains are, how they make buying decisions. And so they're operating in a silo and that's a position of ignorance and you're going to make mistakes and you're not going to be doing marketing and sales that, that are aligned with what your customers want. So what you do is you talk to your customers and you talk to your prospects and then you do marketing that reflects their questions, their needs, their interests. So that's the, that's the best thing you can do. And the other thing that I would argue is once you've got a customer in the fold, don't take them for granted because they're, they're, needs will evolve, their budgets will evolve. So you constantly have to stay in touch with them. So you're doing, you're marketing to them on a regular basis to reflect what they want. So that's just, that's just marketing 101. And as marketers, we are guilty of not following that rule as much as we should. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. So, okay. So with that brand positioning story, then we, we do our customer interviews or we're, we're reaching out to interviews. Um, are, are, do you, do you practice or follow anything of the, the lean startup with that, uh, product market fit? Would you suggest something like that or, you know, any, any, cause I, I, I find that people don't know how to interview well, they don't know how to ask right questions. So any, any help there? A couple ways to look at this is that one is uh, like you think of Donald, uh, Donald Miller's story brand methodology, which you mentioned off the top, which is a very straightforward, really user-friendly way to um, do storytelling, to do marketing and sales. So it really starts with um, you've got this person, they've got a problem, um, they interact with a guide, which is you. And what you do is you do deep discovery to find out what they need, what their interests are, and how you can help them on their journey. Now, the only way you're going to do that is you have to talk to them. And what you need to do when you talk to customers, and that's the key, I don't care whether you talk to customers in person or via survey or net promoter score, is you're trying to figure out what are your problems, number one. What are you doing right now to solve your problems? What would you like to see to solve your problems in a different way? What does success look like? And... Uh, if you had the ideal product, what would it do? How would you, what would it allow you to do? Those are basic fundamental questions, which are all about their pains, their problems, their goals. You mentioned, you've noticed that I've never mentioned anything about our product, the product that we're trying to sell. It doesn't matter because you're trying to figure out whether what you've got is what they need. And once they sort of start to talk about their issues, then you can say, yeah, by the way, we can help you with that. We can help you with that as well. Or you recognize that they're saying things that they want that your product delivers, but you're not articulating them in a public way. Like you're talking about other things that they're not interested in as opposed to the things that they want that your product can do. So you've got to find alignment between their needs and what you can offer. Yeah. And it's kind of curious. I find oftentimes that when you're so entrenched or so ingrained in what your product or service does that you can easily connect the dots. Oh, you had this problem. My product helps in X, Y, and Z way, but they're not able to to connect the dots for those. So, and I really like what you're pointing out there, Mark, is through that questioning strategy is getting them to self-discover 
that, oh, wait a second, this actually would solve that. I wouldn't have even put that together. And the only way that you're going to do that is from, from what I understand, what you're saying here is by going out, interviewing them, asking them good questions and don't get trapped into, oh, we can help with that and do a feature and benefit dump because I've seen that happen too, where you go in for an interview and instead of doing it in an interview, you do a show and tell instead, which doesn't give you the help. But I don't know if that's common out there or if that's just a couple of times that I've seen that with other folks. I would argue that in addition to marketers not talking to their customers enough, they don't listen to them the right ways. They do, <laughs> right. as you mentioned, they do a lot of talking, right? Because as marketers, we love to talk. We love to hear the, the sound of our own voice. But listening is often the most powerful thing you can do because they'll tell you what they want, what they need. So when I work with clients and I'm doing a brand positioning exercise or a, strat- a, strate- a strategy, I'll say to them, listen, I want to talk to your customers. And they'll, sometimes they're very reluctant because their customers are like off bounds for some reason. But when I do talk to customers, and I usually do it on a one-on-one basis, is they'll tell me things that I find really interesting. And then I'll go back to the entrepreneur and I'll say, hey, your customer said this, this, and this. And they're like, what? Really? We didn't know that because they're not listening. And so when you listen to your customers and they tell you, what they think about your product or what they want, then you can adjust your marketing to say the things that resonate with them. So you stop talking about what you think is important because it's not about you. And you start talking to things about what's important to them, right? Because it is about them and their needs, not about you and your product. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you've seen this, but it's, it's kind of curious. I find time and time again, that the, business owner, the leader, or the marketer, or the salesperson, they'll be so concerned about being right <laughs> that they'll actually, no, 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 that's not it. And meanwhile, the the prospect is giving you pure gold, and you're too busy trying to frame it the way that you want them to understand it, that you're not hearing whatsoever the, the genius that they're giving you, and absolutely how you can solve your marketing, sales, lead generation problem. Uh, I mean, it, it's just incredible to me to see that time and time again. Well, there's the old adage that the customer is always right. And in most cases, in some cases, the customer is right because you have to listen to them. And th- at the end of the day, they're the only people that matter. Although if you talk to, you know, you listen to Steve Jobs or Henry Ford, you know, Henry Ford once said, if you ask a customer what they wanted, they would have told you faster horses or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a balancing act because sometimes customers will give you a wish list and it's completely, you know, unrealistic or it's implausible. And sometimes it'll just simply tell you that this is what this is what I want. In fact, the other way to look at it is that sometimes you'll think that your product, you know, the value is these features uh, and you sort of double down on highlighting these features. And then when you do some customer discovery, you'll realize that there's a couple other features that they love that you never talk about, you never highlight. And that only comes from talking to your customers. Okay, so the, the biggest mistake that we can make is... Um, by not determining or not figuring out how we can create the story from the get-go where we, we do that too late. So we, we put in all the different uh, sales and, and marketing and then marketing has to catch up to this. And so starting from the get-go, creating that story, and we're, we're going to do that through uh, interviewing our, 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 our potential customers. What's the next step? So, okay, now we've done that. We start to develop the story. Any tips or tricks or hacks on how we can uh, we can develop that story really well? Once you sort of focus on sort of the key pillars of your story, 
right? Once you sort of craft that narrative, it doesn't have to be a very complicated narrative. It just has to touch upon customers, pains, benefits, how you're unique, how you're different, that kind of thing. Then the story, you need to figure out where do we tell this story? So you've got your story. So what are the, where are the places that we should tell it based on where our customers hang out? Because I always say that you should party where the party's happening. It's no use, no use to be active on social media if people aren't using social media to make buying decisions or learning about your product. So the exercise you should go through is list all the relevant channels, all the potential channels that you could use as an early stage company, and then rank them as far as whether how much you think they're going to resonate, how much money it's going to cost, and how much effort is involved. And what you'll do is you'll divide them into buckets. And the buckets are things we need to do right now because they're going to move the needle and we can afford to do it and we, they're going to drive ROI. Things we can do down the road in three months or six months and things that we'll never do. Because the, the fundamental thing for early stage startups is they need to be focused, they need to be disciplined, and they need to be as efficient with marketing as possible because they don't have a lot of money. So if you are leveraging one or two channels to tell your story, that's fine as long as those channels are doing whatever you need them to do, drive awareness, drive a lead generation, drive sales. And it's okay not to focus on all the other channels because you don't have to be all things to all people. Just pick the channels that you think are going to deliver your story as effectively as possible. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. So the order is really um, interview potential customers to start to develop the the story create the stories from those interviews, and then determine where we're going to tell those stories. And you started going down the path. You didn't say it, but should I focus on a niche? You know, the old adage, there's riches in the niches. Should I be a little bit more broad-based whenever I'm just starting out? Um, I, I know that you said only pick a channel or two or medium to, uh, but how about from a, a niche perspective? How, how niche should I be, if at all? In terms of your target audiences? Correct. I think, I know whether it's, it's called a niche or whether you're just being super focused, but what you want to do on early days when you're developing your product is you got to figure who, who's going to get the most value out of this product. What kind of consumers really, really need it? Because that's the fundamental question. A, you got to figure out, is there a need for this product or is it a nice to have? Because a lot of entrepreneurs get very excited about ideas and they discover there's no demand for it because it's nice, but it's really a hobby more than a business. So you got to find out whether there's a need. And if there is a need, if you get people saying, that's super cool, I would, I would buy that product, then you, then you hone down into like, who is your ideal customer? Like at the end of the day, who is that person who needs your product, who has the problems that your product can solve, and as important, will pay for it. And so if you need to focus on that customer, that's great. It doesn't mean that you're going to be super focused and that you're not going to have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of customers. It's just the type of customer you need to be focused on. Uh, so fo focus is important, but you, know, you don't want to sort of back yourself into a corner by focusing on a micro-target. Um, but yeah, focus is really important in terms of identifying uh, whether there's uh, a need for your product and who's going to buy it.
Okay. Now, any any suggestions from your vantage point and experience? How do we we determine that total addressable market to make sure that there's a legitimate need here? Um, is it the customer interview process that really gets us to find out the niche, or how do we really determine that product market fit? Is it just a uh, is there a true need or a want? Uh, any advice there? It's a combination of customer interviews and, and market research in the early days because that's the best you got, right? I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of their companies are experiments or hypothesis. You've got right. an idea that you think is going to work. The only way you're going to validate it is you talk to customers to see if there's an actual need for your product and you do market research to see if the, there's enough consumers out there that, that have the problem that you, that you can solve. And as important, how is it being solved right now? So are there already dozens if not hundreds of startups tackling the problem that you want to solve? Or are there a number of slow-moving industry incumbents that haven't innovated in years and then you'll you'll identify whether what the opportunities are and where the gaps are and where your product can you can position your product in a different way offering different features or different ways to access the product and uh and that way you'll you'll have a market that you can you can address okay so let, let's kind of dig down just a little bit more deeply there so we we find out where to tell the story we're going to now validate our hypothesis and delivering that story to the marketplace. But then how do we know, is it that we hit the wrong market? Is it that we had the wrong message to the right market? Is it that the product isn't really wanted? I mean, how, that that's where now we're really getting the complexity here. And this is where this will make or break us because if we don't figure out, is it message? Is it market? Is it medium? Or is it the messenger, Right. How do we figure that out um, from here? So the, most, the import, most important customers for you are your first 10 or 20 or 50 customers. So those are the people, if you can start to get those type of customers, if your message breaks through all the noise out there, your product carves out a distinct place in the market and people are willing to pay for it, then you've got to leverage those customers in many different ways. So those are the people who have taken a leap of faith and they've started using your product that has no track record and you, you haven't got a big brand presence and you've got to start talking to those people. Why did you buy our product? How did you find our product? What do you find useful about our product? Would you tell your friends or colleagues about our product? So you got to leverage them as your mini focus group because and you got to show them that you appreciate their business and that you have to listen to them uh, on a regular basis and actually engage them in your product development, marketing, and sales because they will become evangelists. If they thought enough of your product to jump on board early, then they can be converted into evangelists if you make them feel like they're part of your team, if you make them feel like you're, they're integral parts of your community. So that that's one of the, the best ways that you can tell that, You've got something, that, and that now you can start to leverage it in different ways. Okay, so how about the so out of that, which is just another form of interviewing, if you will, how do we make sure that the message is right? Is there A-B testing that we should be doing? Is there ways about doing that? When you've got a story, you're always – it's never written in stone. It's always – it's written in sand and it's very fluid and it's very dynamic because your, your story will change over time based on economic conditions or the changing needs of your, of your customers and prospects. So you're trying to 
in the early days when you haven't got a lot of money, you're just basically seeing if your story drives engagement. Are you attracting a lot of website traffic? Are they sticking around? What are the pages that they're looking at? Um, it tells you whether if they're bouncing off, off uh, specific web pages, then they're, they're not interested or your story's not clear. On social media, are you getting engagement? Are, are people um, liking your posts on LinkedIn or sharing them? Are you, what's happening on, on Twitter or Facebook? There's all different kinds of signals that you get. When you, if you're on stage, when we were allowed to be on stage, does your story resonate? Uh, do people come up and ask questions afterwards? If you're at a cocktail party and you start telling your story or a networking event, uh, are people asking you a lot more questions about, oh, how do you do that? How does your product work? Like, are you engaging people? So there's, anecdotally, there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Um, they're down and dirty, right? You have no money, so you're just doing down and dirty research and, and, uh, and market research. So, but those are all important signs. Like, they all add up. You, add, you have to essentially just sort of amalgamate all those different signals and figure out, is it working or is it not? And if it's not, then you got to reload and do some A-B testing. So try different types of messaging that highlight different parts of your product or the different benefits that it delivers and, and just see what the magic formula is. Okay, so we have all of these sales enablement tools today and we can do our own A-B testing. What are some, what are some maybe the biggest mistakes that we should be avoiding with A-B testing? Well, a couple of things is you know having doing A and B may be a mistake because you may need C, D, and E, right? So you got to sort of have variations on the theme because, and it's the biggest mistake maybe A/B testing is not doing A/B testing because we as entrepreneurs become we we love our own product and we love the messaging that we tell and we're and we, it's really hard for us to change, right? And we do operate in silos as you mentioned, so we don't get a lot of um, external feedback. And so it's just a willingness to try different things, to, to experiment, to be creative, think out of the box, because it's hard to do different things. It's hard to stand apart. It's hard to make statements that others may seem, take as polarizing, because you don't want people to react, you know, in a very, um, you know, dramatic way. Everyone wants to be liked. But the thing about business is that you want to generate reactions. You want to trigger emotions. And so you've got to constantly be experiment to see what works, what's what's not working. And if your if your message and your story is kind of meh, if it's just sort of lands in the middle and you can take it or leave it, then you've got a problem. But the only way to find that out is trying different things and pushing the boundaries, especially if you're a early stage startup, because you don't you don't have a lot of money, so you got to do something else. And maybe that's taking risks with with the way that you do your marketing and sales. So being a so be maybe I call it provocatively professional, right? Provocative is GoDaddy and all their old Super Bowl ads, right? Uh, professional is that, you know, think of that lawyer or banker. How can we tie those two together by being professionally provocative to get somebody off a of center um, to either, they're either going to like you or not like you, but either way is good because at least you can adjust off of that, right? Is that is that kind of what you're suggesting? Exactly. You, do, you want people to violently, and I use that word in sort of a very polite way, violently agree or disagree with you. Everybody in the middle, it's, it's not going to do much for you. But, so if you get people to violently agree that your product is the greatest thing since sliced bread or to disagree, that's great. You also want to be opinionated. You want to be a thought leader. You want to be out there saying, this is what I believe. This is where I think the market's going. This is the way that consumers 
should purchase products. This is what's important to your target audience is. And that's the way that you're going to be, build credibility. People are going to see you as someone who says it like it is in a very professional and provocative way. But that's going to drive brand awareness. It's going to drive authenticity and it's going to drive believability, which is the biggest thing in, in business and, and, and ultimately trust, right? Yeah. And, and really, whenever you're talking about the differentiation, it has to be a legitimate differentiator. It can't be because you have a green button or you're the only person in a local area, right? That's not really a differentiator. It, it, you know, it, the biggest thing is if you write in capital letters, who cares? Because no one is going, oh, you know what? The reason that you should buy from me is because we're super cheap. The reason that we're super cheap is, yes, the only way that we can schlep this stuff because we give horrible customer service. I own the joint and they won't even return my call. Um, you know, uh, nobody's selling like that. So if if you're saying the same thing of everyone else, we have great product, great experience, great blah, blah, blah. There is a me too like you said, a meh attitude. So you really have to stand out. And I think that's what you're talking about is being that professionally provocative and A-B testing to find out what is getting people off of center to say, you said, I think you said, uh, violently agreeing or disagreeing with that. Is, is that kind of a good summation of what you just said? Exactly. And I think the point about differentiation is it doesn't have to be like significant differentiation. You don't have to stand like two miles apart from every other company out there. What you're looking for is, is a way to position yourself as unique or different. And it can be, even be a small different point of difference, right? So take, for example, a restaurant. And the restaurant, the food is okay, just like every other restaurant out there. But what makes them different is amazing customer service. So when you go to the restaurant, this minute you step in, they're like, Brian, how you doing? How's your business going? Like, how's your podcast? They know you. They appreciate your business. There's a, there's a sense that you're among friends and family. And the food is okay. Like, you know, but what makes you different is an amazing customer service. There's one thing. If there's one thing about your business, you can rally around that and make it the, the, the flag that you wave that allows people to connect with you and stay with you. Yeah. So if we talk about, um, and I had not thought about this before, so I might get myself in trouble here, but it seems like there's only a couple of key ways that we can differentiate ourselves. One is how can we reduce risk? Two, how can we make uh, somebody's life easier in the buying process? So you talked about the buyer's journey. Uh, and unfortunately, we, we might be able to touch on this a little bit, but um, you know, how do we make the buyer's journey so much easier compared to the other people, whether it's terms, whether it's pricing, whether it's uh, ease of going through that whole entire process, understanding, uh, implementation. So, you know, reduce risk, uh, better buyer's journey process. Um, what other, what other um, maybe key points of differentiation can we have? You could differentiate on price. If you've got low prices, that's great. You can differentiate on customer service. You can differentiate on location. You're, you know, you've got locations everywhere where people might shop. So if you're a grocery chain, maybe your point of differentiation is that we've got more locations than anybody else. You could differentiate on your community involvement. So if your people are really involved in local charities, that could be your point of differentiation. A lot of banks, for example, will really emphasize the fact that their communities are engaged in local charities because all the banks are doing basically the same thing, right? Right. So there's, 
there's it could be customer service, it could be delivery. There's lots of different ways to differentiate yourself. Um, you just have to find something that you're really good at or something you really believe in, and you can back up. So if you say we have the fastest delivery times in Pittsburgh, then we're faster than any other pizza joint out there, then you can say that and you can rally around it as long as it's true. Yeah. So right. with us talking about B2B stuff, it's going to be um, most uptime, uh, ease of use, those kind of things. Is that a- accurate? Yeah. Best customer service, most user-friendly, fastest onboarding, uh, you know, um, quickest ROI, um, the most automated processes, the, the easiest way to eliminate manual work. I mean, all those, if those are all true, if you can actually prove it, if you've got customers who are reaping the benefits, are seeing that particular thing, and, and you, get, you start to get consistency because your customers start saying the exact same thing about your product, we love this product because of this, then you've got something that you can rally around it to differentiate. Okay. Now, so we've gone through this, right? So we, we've started with a story in mind. We have our four or five pillars that we're, we're building up. Uh, we have our origin story, our brand positioning story, our customer story. We're starting to develop that. Maybe we're even getting our employee stories. We have the, the, the order and process. We've interviewed our customers. We're created those stories off of it. We're now effectively telling those over one, two, three different mediums or channels that are effective. We're validating our hypothesis. We're getting market feedback. We're testing the message. We're really um, making sure that we're over-delivering with our 5, 10, 20 first-paying customers. Uh, we're A-B testing this to tighten it up the whole entire time. So how in the world, then, after we do all of those things, what metrics should we be watching to tell whether or not this stuff is working? Well, you're, that list is exhausting. I can't believe we've done all that work, right? But if you think about it, there's not a lot of, other than product development and you know hiring people, there's not, a lot of that is grunt work. A lot of that is really getting into the trenches and doing the work yourself. So you don't have to spend a lot of money to make that happen. Right. The biggest investment you're going to make as an entrepreneur is time and energy and effort. But you're going to be able to reap a lot of rewards from doing all that necessary work. So how, does, how do you know it's working? Now, number one, it's are you generating leads? Are you getting sales? Is like, are those leads converting into sales? How long does it take for them to convert? How much website traffic are you getting? And in your website, you know, as an early stage company is, is, your, is gold for you because it's the place that you show people what you do, who you serve, whether you're credible, uh, you know, how your product works. And you can, you can really get a lot of data from Google Analytics on how many people are visiting your website, how many uniques are you getting, how long are they spending on the website? I think that is probably the most, one of the most interesting and most um, powerful pieces of information is that if people are spending time on your website, if they are interested in the content, if they're checking out multiple pages, then you know that you're onto something, that you know that you're that your product is interesting and people are curious about it. If they're bouncing off pages, if they hit a page and they leave after 10 seconds, if your bounce rates are 70, 80, 90%, then, and if they're more product focused, then you've got a problem. How are your CTAs working? Like, you know, ask for a demo. How many demo requests are you getting? How many contact requests are you getting? You can look at your social media. How much engagement are you getting on LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook? So there's lots of different 
things that you can look at to see what's going on. But it's the fundamentals. At the end of the day, are you getting leads? Are you having conversations with prospects? And especially if you're a B2B company, and are you getting sales? Okay, yeah. And, and, and if you don't know how, because my sense is, um, you know, we always talk about the numbers tell a story. And that story that your numbers are telling you is what you need to do next to fix, right? What's the, the biggest constraint that you're, you're going to look to overcome? And, and that's probably where you'd need a guy like you, where I can say, hey, Mark, here's what my numbers are. I have no idea what it's telling me. What should I do, right? So that's probably where they're reaching out to you. So um, all of that, all of that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff there, right? So we, we, we've done all of these things. We're now generating the MQLs and we're, we're taking it down to pipeline, pipeline management uh, into closed one and amen, hallelujah. Now we got a business and we're growing. So that's, that's awesome. Now, that's a lot of stuff, Mark. So what's maybe one or two things that you might share with us about, okay, here's something that I've learned over my tenure. Avoid this. This was a painful mistake. Don't do it. What's maybe one or two things that you can share with us so we can not feel the pain that you have had? Okay. Well, let me, let me, focus, on, let me focus on the upside. Let's focus on a little bit on the positive as I see. And I've really come around to this way of thinking this year as we've you know, not been able to go to conferences. The number one metric for early stage companies is conversations. If you're a B2B or a SaaS company, what you want to do is you want to look at how many conversations are you having with prospects and your customers. Because at the end of the day, conversations are the thing that happens when your marketing and sales are effective and reaching the right people and saying the right things. Because if you're having no conversations as a B2B or SaaS company, then unless you're a relatively low price, do-it-yourself you know, onboarding product, then you've got a problem. On the flip side, the biggest lesson that I've learned is that you have to be customer centric. It's all about the customers. And I said earlier, it's about them and it's about, it's not about you. So if you're focused on product, if you're operating in a product silo where you think that, you know, if we build it, they will come or the other analogy, if you build a better mousetrap, then, you know, the world is your, uh, the world is your oyster, then that's a mistake. Because, as I mentioned, product doesn't matter, price doesn't matter. What matters is what your customers want. So, you know, we talk a lot about marketers as being customer centric and talking to customers, but we don't, we don't, we don't, we talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. And if I was an early stage entrepreneur, I would be talking to customers all the time. Yeah, I, amen. Right. That's that's our core business premise: is how many conversations legitimate conversations can you have as quickly as possible because out of that conversation no you might not get a meeting no you might not get a sale but i would say almost as important is you're getting market feedback market analytics so you can make adjustments make adaptations to get more in the pipeline more meetings more sales kind of thing so i'll wholeheartedly agree with that one um so how about um from a from a business hack, whether it's on talent, whether it's driving sales and marketing, whether it's how do we drive more conversations? Um, what's one maybe hack that you can give us thing that you're, you're teaching your folks? I think that consistency is probably the, 
the biggest thing that you should embrace because marketing is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So, you know, that's one of the, the, that's one of the core things that I would preach these days. The other hack, um, and the thing that I've learned this year is the value of LinkedIn. It really has changed. The platform has changed from this place where you, you know, you were, you were stalked by HR people, or if you wanted to look for a job, you'd go to, you'd, that was the only reason why you go to LinkedIn. LinkedIn has become a, a true business social network where people are producing really insightful content where people are, are connecting, but in, in real connection ways, not the whole fake, you know, click, you know, connect, 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 connect. And that they're leveraging those connections to have conversations. So if you're an entrepreneur and you and you're trying to find a really user-friendly, really effective way to drive brand awareness, thought leadership, connections and conversations, then you should double down on LinkedIn. If you're not using it now, you got to get on it right away. And if you are using it but in a very sort of rudimentary way, I would highly suggest that you uh, you really rethink how what your LinkedIn strategy is. Yeah, I think that's really good. So that might be, if you were talking earlier, your one or two channels, that might be one of your two channels. I would suggest that LinkedIn should probably be at the, at the very top of your channel, along with, I would say, really good, high quality content would probably be the other thing that I would suggest these days. Yeah, uh, great, great, great advice. Now, how about um, resources? What re- resources might you recommend, uh, whether books, podcasts, guides, wh- where we can learn some of these things and, and put, put to practice? I would say podcasts have emerged as an amazing uh, resource for entrepreneurs looking for guidance on sales, marketing. Like um, there are there are so many good B two B podcasts out there. Um, Sweetfish Media does several podcasts that you should check out. Um, I think one of them is called the B two B Podcast, B two B Marketing. Um, there's a book I read recently that I love um, by a Canadian marketer called Terry O'Reilly, and it's called This I Know. And it's so user-friendly, so accessible, and it really touches upon some of the fundamentals that you and I have talked about um, in this conversation. Um, yeah, I would say that, you know, there's, there's just, um, you know, um, Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why is a great book. Uh, Lean Startup, another really good book. Uh, Donald Miller's books are really good. Story Brand are really good. Like those are easy reads too. I mean, I read Donald Miller's book about a month ago, and I thought, well, what is Donald Miller going to teach me about marketing? But you read the book, and you and it reminds you of the things that are important, right? The things that matter. So those are just a bunch of resources uh, that I would uh, that I would suggest. Yeah. Now you were talking about um, Donald Miller earlier. I'm, I'm pulling up the uh, he, he wrote. Of course, this is running slowly here. He he wrote um, a, a book not too terribly long ago. I think it was a sequel to, um, yeah, marketing made simple. Had you read that? Or is that any good? Because it seemed that seemed to be a little bit of uh, how to one hundred and one step by step process to to really get your marketing machine rolling. Yeah, marketing made simple is a really is a really good book. It's a recent book. The other book that I read is building a story brand. Okay. Uh, so those are two books that you could read. And as I said, there are, you can probably, if you put your head down, you could probably uh, snap them off in a weekend. They're, they're that easy to, easy to read, but you'll, if you're an entrepreneur looking for marketing help, you'll start jotting notes down in the, in the, uh, in the pages because it'll, well, that's really interesting. That's interesting because it's fundamentals, right? And as, as early stage entrepreneurs, we just need to embrace the fundamentals, uh, and establish that foundation for rock solid marketing. 
Yeah, and I, I always go back to because uh, I'll tell you what one of my biggest mistakes, Mark, is I can overly complicate anything, right? And we it's keeping it stupidly simple so you can get those foundations down. So I wholeheartedly agree with that one. Now, so um, do us a favor, pull out the old magic eight ball, wind it up. What what, uh, what do we have to watch for? What what trends are, are you seeing coming down the the path from from marketing? Uh, what's going to bite us in the backside that we need to watch out for? I think the number one thing that we need to accept is that conferences aren't going to happen anytime within the six, next six to 12 months. That's yeah. just not going to happen. I mean, that's the sad reality of, of the whole pandemic that we're experiencing around the world these days. So what we need to think about is how do we engage prospects and how do we drive conversations? I think that video is going to be a increasingly powerful a medium for people to embrace. We all know the power of video, but I think we're going to have to double down on that high quality content, We've high quality content matters not only because it's it delivers insight and it separates us from other companies, but Google has changed the algorithm, and it really is is really putting the emphasis on quality um, over quantity. So farming content out to, you know, freelancers who are just going through the motions, you know, for cheap content is not going to work anymore. And I think the other trend is LinkedIn. I really believe that LinkedIn is going to be the platform for 2021. Interesting. Okay. There you have it. Get your video going, make sure it's quality and post it on LinkedIn. That seems pretty straightforward. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So Mark, I can't thank you enough for your, for your insights here. Hey, who should reach out to you? How should they do it? And why should people uh, reach out to you here, Mark? So I deal with companies, SaaS and B2B companies primarily. They're usually 50 employees or less. They've got, they've got product, they've got revenue, but they're stuck with their marketing. They've, they, don't, they, either got, they have no marketing and they don't know what to do, or their marketing isn't working, and they need a third party to come in and provide them with strategic and tactical guidance. You can connect with me at marketingspark.co. And the services that I offer, it's either as a fractional CMO who works engage with your business and work with your management team. I do, I do uh, strategic advisory work and then I'll also work as a coach on a one-on-one basis with entrepreneurs. So I offer different options depending on what your needs are and your budgets. Um, but again, if you want to email me, it's mark at marketingspark.co. Yep. And I bet you're on LinkedIn. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just search for Mark Evans. And, uh, and like you, I have a podcast that I do once a week called Marketing Spark. Marketing Spark. So check it out. Marketing Spark, Mark Evans. Hey, Mark, I can't thank you enough. Hey, uh, this has been Brian Whittington with this week's Talent Sales and Scale Show. Lots of great stuff. Take it. Use it. What'd you get after it? Let's go. Let's make a, oh, let's close out 20, uh, 2020 already. My goodness. And let's make 2021 way better. Thanks, everyone. See ya.